The journey of life is filled with thresholds that all of us have to make decisions about whether we're going to cross or not. It's important when we get to those thresholds that, number one, we hear the call of God. We're able to discern God speaking to us. And second, it's important that we cross those thresholds by faith. In fact, many of those thresholds, if not most of them, we are not going to cross if we don't cross them by faith. Hearing God's voice and trusting His promises and His presence that we will cross and do what He has called us to do when we know we need to cross that threshold. In fact, many of you this morning that are listening to me are probably thinking there's a threshold in my life right now that I need to have the courage to cross over. But right now, I'm really struggling with making that crossover, walking through that threshold. And you see, faith enables us to often make the hard choices that are required to cross those thresholds. Because we stand there and it's easy to get frozen in fear. And what we have to do is stand there and look at that threshold. And sometimes we know what's on the other side. And sometimes we're not sure what's on the other side. And faith enables us to make the hard choice. Because faith is not about easy choices. Faith, more times than not, is about making difficult choices. Hard choices. To step over and to trust the Lord. This morning we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 11. At one of God's heroes. Who had to make repeated Hard choices to cross the thresholds that God called him to cross over. His name was Moses. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And as you do there, allow me to give you a summary of Moses' life. So that what the writer of Hebrews says about Moses will make some good sense. Hebrews chapter 11. As you turn there, I want to read at the end of Moses' life, Deuteronomy chapter 34 gives sort of a summation of his life, of who he was and what he did. Listen, beginning in verse 10, as you turn to Hebrews 11. And there was not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now catch that. Whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did, in the sight of all Israel. Now the st- story of Moses begins with his parents. Moses is born in the land of Egypt where the Israelites of which he was a part were in subjection and literally slaves to the Egyptians. And the king of Egypt Pharaoh was very intimidated by the way the Israelites were just gaining in population. He thought they're going to take over our nation before long. So he gave commandment to all of the midwives of the Hebrews that when the Hebrew boys were born, the midwives were to literally snuff their life out. Well, the Hebrew midwives, needless to say, were not going to be cooperative with that. So Pharaoh said, take all the boys when they're born and throw them into the Nile River and let them become lunch for the crocodiles. And so he's passed that edict. And of course, they struggled with following that. About this time, Moses is born. And Moses' parents, needless to say, do not want to throw their son into the Nile River. And they look upon him. He's a beautiful child. They sense the call of God in his life, even as a baby. And so for three months, they debate, what are we going to do? We can't hold this baby in our house for long. Can you imagine trying to keep a baby quiet for three months so that the authorities will not hear a baby crying and doing all the things that a baby does? And so they build this little 
basket and place him in the basket. They put him in the Nile River and they let the river sort of take its course. And they just have to trust the Lord with their son in that basket going down the Nile River. Well, Pharaoh's daughter comes out to bathe in the river and she sees this basket. And she is intrigued by it. She tells her servants, would you bring that basket to me? And they bring the basket to her and she looks into the basket and she sees that Moses... This little beautiful baby is in that basket. Now, I heard a story years ago about a child's explanation of how this happened and the way Moses got his name. And that is that Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby in the basket and she mosed him out of the water into her arms and that's how he got the name Moses. That, I don't think that's actually biblical content, but anyway. And so Moses spends the next 40 years growing up in the palace of Pharaoh. As such, he is considered like the son of Pharaoh. Even though he's a Hebrew, he is raised in the Egyptian palace. He has access to all that anyone in the palace and as a son of Pharaoh would have. All the opulence, the authority. I mean, you name it, he's got access to it. And Egypt at this time is one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth. And he's right there with Pharaoh's daughter and with Pharaoh every day. At 40 years of age... He begins to realize that he has a problem on his hands. And that is that he is a Hebrew. His people are slaves to the Egyptians. And he has a threshold he has to cross. Either he can choose to remain in the palace. And live the rest of his life. And the power, the authority, the opulence that he has known all of his life. Or he can choose to step, step over a threshold. And that is to go and to identify with his people. And to identify with them in slavery. To suffer with them in slavery. To walk where they walk. To go through what they go through. And to follow the Lord in so doing. And so he chooses to make that decision. And by doing so he alienates the court of Pharaoh. He's on the backside of a desert one day. He sees a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. It intrigues him. He walks up to that bush, and as he comes up to that bush, he hears a voice that speaks out of the bush that identifies it as the Lord God Almighty, tells him to take off his shoes, for he's on holy ground, and then tells Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and this time you are to tell him to let my people go. Well, Moses follows God's command. He walks across that threshold by faith and walks back into the palace. This time, not as the son of Pharaoh, but almost as the enemy of Pharaoh. Pharaoh blows him off. And so a series of signs and miracles take place, trying to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Finally, he goes before Pharaoh and he says, you have got to let the people go. God has told me that there's a death angel that is going to pass through this land tonight. Pharaoh says, I'm not listening to you. So Pharaoh, excuse me, Moses tells the nation of Israel, take a lamb without spot or blemish, slaughter the lamb, take the blood of that lamb, put a mixture together with that blood and spread it over the doorpost of the homes. And this night when the death angel passes over the land, every home that it sees with the blood spread over the doorpost, the death angel will pass over that house, hence the name Passover. And every house that does not have the blood spread over the doorpost of that house, the death angel will go in and take the life of the firstborn male. And that happens that night. Pharaoh calls Moses in and says, get out. Get out of here as fast as you can. Take your children, your families, and let Israel get out of here as quickly as possible. And so Moses steps across the threshold yet again of Egyptian bondage into the deliverance and the call that God has for him and for the nation. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of the faith that it took for Moses to lead his entire life 
with the nation of Israel. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin with verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Notice the phrase over and over and over again is used in this passage and what we've seen previously in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, by faith, by faith. And Hebrews begins, Hebrews chapter 11 begins by saying faith is. It is a certainty. A certainty in the promises of God, a certainty in the person and character of God. And that certainty of God's presence and God's character and God's promises is grounded in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That because Jesus rose from the dead, we have a certainty that we can trust the Lord, we can put our faith in Him, and we can live by faith. Now notice in this summation of faith walk that Moses has, that he begins by saying that his parents laid the groundwork for Moses' life. His parents, by faith, laid the groundwork for that of Moses and his sister and his brother who would serve with him in leading the nation of Israel. They're Hebrews. They're in slavery. And they have a child. What are they going to do? It's a male boy. For three months, this little baby's in the house. Pharaoh has said the baby is to be thrown into the Nile River. Supposed to be food for crocodiles. They know that the Egyptian authorities hear this baby crying. Notice that they are bringing baby supplies into the house. Notice things have changed around the house. That they're going to go in and grab the baby and kill it themselves. And so they struggle for three months hiding Moses in the house. What are they going to do? Each day as they look at Moses, they are thinking and considering not only that it's their son that they want to keep, but they're also thinking and considering what they're hearing from God. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, believed that Moses' parents had received a special revelation from God concerning the destiny of Moses. The word that's translated from the Greek here, beautiful, carries the idea of not just a physical beauty, but also that God's hand was on him. And they begin to sense God has something in store for this baby. But they wait for three months to decide what they're going to do. Sometimes the hard choice of faith is that we have to wait on God. We have to wait on a word from God. We have to wait on the activity of God. We have to wait and discern what God has for us. 
sometimes I think it's harder to wait on God than it is to move with God. Because it's easy to think when we're waiting on God, God, what are you doing? Are you just stringing me out here? Why have I got to wait? Why have I got to wait so long? But always know that when you have to wait on God, God is not waiting. He is at work. Even though we don't see his hand and we don't discern his hand immediately, that does not mean that he is not at work. And God was at work. They take that little baby and they place him into that basket, and down the river he goes. Can you imagine what it felt like as a parent to watch your child in a basket going down a river that's got crocodiles in it, that's got snakes in it, that's probably going to have Egyptians somewhere along the way, and you just have to trust your child to the Lord. Can you imagine what that's like? Some of you have sent kids off to college notes what that's like, what it feels like. There comes a time when all of us are going to have things in our life and those people that are the closest to us are the greatest challenge when we have to sort of put them in the basket and send them down the Nile. Say, God, I've done all I can do. They're in your hands now. God, I've handled this all I can handle it. I've got to trust you for your wisdom, for your discernment, for your protection. And they had to trust God to do on the Nile that day what they were powerless to do but he was all powerless to do. Pharaoh's daughter comes down there, not by consequence, but by a divine work. To do something as simple as taking a bath in the Nile, and God puts it all together that day. Notice it says about his parents in verse 23 that they did not fear the king. We're either going to trust God and not fear man, or we're going to fear man and not trust God. But you can't hold the fear of man and the fear of God in your hands at the same time. We've either got to trust the Lord, or we're going to and not fear man, or we're going to fear man, fear all the circumstances, and not trust the Lord. But we can't pull both of those at the same time. What they did that day is they made a decision, I'm not going to fear the king, I'm going to trust God. I don't know how God is going to take care of my boy going down in this basket, but I know that the same God who created this world and who created the Nile River is the same God who can take care of my son in this basket. He can pull this one off because I can't pull it off. You know, sometimes God gets us in a place of being totally powerless so that we will lean on his power and see his power in demonstration. Now, notice next that faith chooses sacrifice. Faith chooses sacrifice over sin. Moses gets to be 40 years of age, and he realizes he's got a tough decision to make. And it says that he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In that time, that was considered a title of dignity. We don't really have an, an equivalent of that in our culture. Uh, the, the English do. They will call someone the Duke of this or the Duke of that, which puts you in a real high position. But we don't really have an equivalent of that. If we say someone is the son of a governor or a president or something, that would be a rough equivalent of it. But when Moses walked around and he carried the title around Egypt, this is the son of Pharaoh's daughter, people stepped back. They gave him privileges. They gave him opportunity. They also knew that if he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter and they gave him grief, that Pharaoh was going to give them grief, which usually meant you got sent to the backside of the desert if you were lucky. And so they had to buck up really quickly and do whatever he said to do. So he's sitting there, and for 40 years, he has known this kind of title. And Moses has to decide at 40 years of age, where am I going in life? 
Because I look at my people and every day as he walked through Israel, even in the courts and outside the courts, he saw those pyramids being built, but he knew it was being built on the backs and the sweat of his people. When he would walk through there and he would hear those ropes and those whips slashing up against the backs, he realized it was the backs of his people. When he saw blood run and stain those great massive stones that they were building those pyramids with, he knew it was Hebrew blood that was staining those stones. What was he going to do? Was he going to go back every night into the palace and get in his nice comfortable bed and pull the silk sheets up over top of him and go to sleep? Because as he did so, he heard the hollers and the screams and the agony of his people suffering out there. What was he going to do? Moses had to make that decision. Am I going to cross the threshold from comfort and ease into one of sacrifice and alienating myself from this court? Can I come make that decision? Can I choose that level of sacrifice? Notice the word that's used in verse 24. It says, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The word there, refused, carries the idea of he renounced it. In other words, the day came that Moses said, I'm going to renounce the privileges, I'm going to renounce the comfort, I'm going to renounce everything that works to my advantage here in order to be identified with God's people. Which also meant that he was going to alienate himself from the court of Pharaoh and that he would be rejected and ridiculed by the people he grew up in and probably putting his life on the line. It says in verse 25 that he did that in order to be mistreated with his people. The word mistreated there is a fascinating word. It means to suffer with someone to the place that you're bonded with them. In other words, Moses chose to go out there and to start sweating with his fellow Hebrews, getting beaten up with his fellow Hebrews, going through whatever they were going through so that he could be bonded with his fellow Hebrews. Now in doing that, he was becoming their leader without even realizing it. Because as he walked the same path they were walking, and when the time came for him to leave, they were ready to follow his leadership. Anytime God takes you through a period of suffering, it's because he's preparing you for a new place of leadership that he's taken you to. But very few of us get to new places of leadership without having to suffer to get to the new place of leadership. God does some kind of work in us through suffering to purify us, to cleanse us, to bond us, and to prepare us for where he wants to take us in the next phase of leadership of how he wants to use us. And that's what he's doing in Moses' life here. Verse 25, it says that he chose to be mistreated and to renounce this and the pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, what were those fleeting pleasures of sin that he was having to choose to walk away from. I think there were probably two. One was, <clears throat> excuse me, one was just popularity. I mean, you the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Can you imagine how he got treated in the court? When he walked through the court, the other Egyptians were bowing to him. When he walked around town, everybody was kissing up to him. Here comes Moses. Moses is the man. Notice how Moses is identified here, his identity. It's tied to Pharaoh. He is the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His identity was tied to Pharaoh. And all the privileges he got were tied to Pharaoh. 
The second was pleasure he got was probably that of money. I mean, he lived in opulence. I think it was the seventh dynasty of Egypt that was in control at that time. And if you go back and you study ancient history, the Egyptians, particularly Pharaoh, had money, big time money, big time wealth. They couldn't have built those pyramids if they didn't have it. Money, power, etc. And he's having to choose to renounce all of that. And his identity was no longer that he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His identity was that he was one of the people of God. He was now a Hebrew. But Moses' identity is even deeper than that because he gives up being a son of Pharaoh to be identified as God's man of the hour. When he walked back into that palace and stood before Pharaoh, he did not stand there as Pharaoh's adopted son. He stood there and he confronted Pharaoh as God's man. And folks, sooner or later, we have to make a decision as we make the journey of life that we're going to cross the threshold and say, I am identifying with God's people. I am going to serve Him. I'm going to be the Lord's. And my identity is in Jesus Christ and as His servant and that alone. That I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And at the end of the day and the beginning of the day and all through the day, Jesus Christ is where my identity is. It is not in the things of this world. It is not in popularity. It is in the Lord Jesus and Him only. Notice what it says in verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ more important than the fleeting pleasures of sin. The sufferings of God's people are always linked to Jesus. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. The word that's translated there, looking to the reward, means to look away. And this is what the writer here is saying. He looked At the vast wealth of Egypt. And he chose. He made the hard choice. To look away from it. And to look at the Lord. Instead. And what's fascinating. What's described. It says he considered the reproach of Christ. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. It, It wasn't just looking at the Lord. When he turned away and made the decision to turn away, he was looking at what it was going to mean to sacrifice and suffer for the Lord. You know, it's easier to say, well, I'm going to walk away from the stuff of this world because look at all the stuff I'm going to get if I follow the Lord. And we talk about, you know, we're going to lose hell and gain heaven and God's going to bless and God's going to do this and God's going to do that. But when you make the decision that you're going to follow the Lord Jesus and serve the Lord Jesus, and that means you're going to have to suffer for Jesus and suffer with Jesus and sacrifice for Jesus and suffering and working and walking with him is going to cost something. Man, that's when it gets tough. That's when it gets difficult. 
When you go to the family reunion and everybody shuns you because you're identified as the follower of Christ, that's when it's tough. When you go to work and you know you're going to not get a promotion because you're identified as a Christian, that's when it gets tough. When you go to school and you get ostracized because you're a believer and follow Jesus, that's when it gets tough. When you choose not to participate in sin wherever it is and you pay a price for that, that's when it gets tough. That is the reproach of Christ. But he chose to consider that greater than if he had played the Egyptian game and gotten all the advantages of that. I want to draw your attention to two passages of Scripture to speak to that. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, let us go to him, that is Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Right here, let's go out and bear the reproach of Christ. Because we are seeking an eternal city. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Read it one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now Paul was someone who wrote Romans who knew what it was about to suffer. Probably in prison When he wrote those words. And he's saying these sufferings of this present time. What we're going through right now. Are not worth comparing to the glory. That God has for us. Folks if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus. And we're going to walk with the Lord Jesus. And we're going to serve him. And we're going to cross those thresholds of obedience to him. Then suffering is promised to us. That's part of what it means to follow him. But he says don't focus on the suffering Focus on Him and what He's got coming for us. And the fellowship that we will have walking with Him. Finally, faith chooses to leave our Egypt and celebrate what God's got for us. Notice what it says, verse 27, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he left Egypt. He looked at Egypt with all that it had, and he said, By faith, I'm leaving this because I'm trusting God with what trust with what God has for me. When he led the nation of Israel out that night of the Passover, he left all that opulence behind and walked into a desert with a river in front of him. Why? Because he was walking in faith question I want to present to you this morning is, what Egypt do you and I need to leave? You see, Egypt, for all of its opulence and its beauty, was a place of bondage. And the Egypt in our life is wherever we are in life, it's, we're in bondage. What Egypt do you and I need to leave? 
It takes faith to choose to leave the Egypt. It takes faith to choose to walk out of the bondage. Sometimes, as crazy as it sounds, it's easier to stay in the bondage. It's easier to stay in an addiction than to do the hard work of breaking from the addiction and walking in freedom. It is easier to stay in fear than to take the step across the line and choose not to walk in fear and to step out with whatever God's calling you to be and calling you to do. And so a lot of times we get comfortable in our bondage and we want to stay in our bondage. But God says, don't stay in Egypt anymore. If you want to walk in what I've got for you, you've got to leave that Egypt and you've got to go where I want you to go. Now, verse 27, it says that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured. Endurance in the Christian life is not about clenching our teeth and just saying, I'm going to get through this one way or the other. Endurance is knowing the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that he gives, and moving through life that way. You see, Moses endured as he left Egypt and as he led the people out and he faced all the challenges he faced. And we'll see some more of that next week. But as Moses did that, as he endured, he didn't walk out of there clenching his teeth saying, man, how are we going to get through this and how are we going to get through the next thing that's coming up in front of us? He didn't do that. He walked out there and he said, God, I am trusting you. You got me as a baby out of the Nile River. You got me through the last 40 years. You brought me to this point. Lord, I can trust you. I can walk with you. You will get me through. And I'm going to do that, Lord, in your strength. God doesn't want you to endure till you get to heaven just by clenching your teeth and trying to get through it as best you can. He wants you to walk in the joy of the Lord. He wants you to walk in His peace, in His power, in His presence, in the fullness of what He had. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Endurance is learning to endure through and walk in the abundant life that He's got for us. Now notice how He did the endurance. Verse 27, key phrase, as seeing Him who is invisible. As seeing him who is invisible. How did he stay at it? Because every day when he got up, he looked to the Lord. He stayed focused on the Lord. Every challenge that he faced. God, where are you in this? And what have you got for me in this? What have you got for your people? He endured as seeing him who is invisible. How could he see the invisible? Because only by faith with eyes of faith. Do we see the invisible? Your vision of Jesus is the most important aspect of your life. I want to say that again because you don't remember anything I say today. I'm going to plead with you to remember that. Your vision of Jesus is the most important aspect of your life. Your vision of Jesus is the most important aspect of your life. And that vision of Jesus in your life has to stay fresh and it has to continue to grow. It has to stay fresh and has to continue to grow. Every day I'm having fresh new experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day 
my understanding of who he is is growing and expanding. Listen, if your vision of Jesus, if our vision of Jesus gets stale and stagnant, we are in trouble because that's when sin starts looking so alluring. We want to stay out of sin and disobedience. Don't sit there and say, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin because you, you, you and I will run right to the sin. Everything we say we're not going to do, what do we do? We start looking at it, thinking about it, and drawing right to it. If I'm going to stay away from sin, I just look at Jesus more. I grow in Jesus more. I experience Jesus more. I press into Jesus more. I probe who he is. I look for fresh and deeper experiences with Jesus. And as that happens, your love for Jesus grows and is strengthened. And the sin just starts melting away in our lives. Now, you have to forgive all of my sea illustrations. Living in uh, Hampton Roads before we moved here, uh, everything down there is tied to the ocean. And, you know, if you really want to experience the ocean, you have to do several things when you go down to the beach. You've got to walk down there, and the first thing you do is you've got to smell it. That salt air and so forth coming up in your nostrils. Then you've got to feel it, and that is you feel that salt water spray all over your arms, etc. If you stand there for a while, you start getting damp because that sea spray is coming up on you. So you're experiencing that sea spray, and you're smelling it. It gets in your hair. Your hair starts getting all knotted up and thick, etc., etc. And you start feeling some sand blowing in your face, etc. So I'm just getting ready, y'all ready for beach uh, vacations here, etc. Just don't go to Myrtle Beach so you don't get COVID, all right? And go, go find some beach. There's nobody there and enjoy it. But if you really want to experience the, the ocean you got to get down into the water. And I used to love to go down there and start wading in it. Because when the waves crash, you begin to get a little bit of a pull on your feet. You go a little bit deeper, and you really begin to feel the power. By the time you get waist deep to chest deep, you are fully feeling the power of it. And if you get on a float and get out there in it where it's over your head the tide and the movement of the water is going to start pulling you even against your will where it wants to go. And the idea here of seeing Him who is invisible is that with the Lord Jesus in prayer, over His Word, in worship, in serving Him, I begin to feel His presence in my life. I begin to know what it is to sense that he is at work around me. And then I begin to be, walk out into him and to press into him so that I begin to walk and to live in the power of Jesus in me and around me. I'm not satisfied to look at pictures of who he is. I'm not satisfied to listen to somebody else tell me about their experience with Jesus. I'm not satisfied to live off my parents or my grandparents talk about Jesus. I want him for myself. I want to go deeper into him for myself. Every day Moses got up and he knew he was going to have to endure the people. And some days the people were driving him nuts. But he knew that beyond the crazy people that were driving him crazy, he got to endure as seeing him. If you're enduring life, enduring people, you're going to give up and give out sooner or later. But if you endure as seeing Jesus, you'll stay at it. It takes faith to do that. Because he is invisible. But stay at it. Notice verse 28. It says that he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Now, I don't have time to go into all the significance of the Passover this morning. But what the Passover represented was deliverance. 
You're being delivered out of Egypt. You're being delivered eventually to the promised land. You're being delivered from Pharaoh being your king to the Lord God being your king. The Passover was all about deliverance. And that's the reason he kept the Passover because he was recognizing and he was celebrating God is delivering us. Folks, I just asked you a few moments ago, what Egypt do you need to get out of? My next question to you is this morning, what do you need to celebrate? What deliverance do you need to celebrate? It's not just about getting out of Egypt. It is about being delivered into what God's got for you next. What do you and I need to celebrate of what God is doing in our lives, wants to do in our lives? What deliverance do you and I need to be celebrating of God's work in our life? Are you willing to cross the threshold of faith this morning? Are you willing to make that choice to leave the Egypt, that place of bondage in our lives, and to move to wherever God has got for you? That deliverance that he has got for you. Are you willing to make the hard choice of faith? And in so doing, that we keep our eyes focused on he who is invisible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning. That Lord, you want to deliver us from whatever Egypt we are in. You want to deliver us to what you've got for us. That Lord... You want to give us daily fresh experiences with you. A closer walk with you. Lord, some days in that journey we will feel it and some days we won't. Some days it we will be up. Some days we will struggle. But Jesus, you want us to just press deeper into you of knowing you and loving you and experiencing you because you're so close to us. But you want us to be close to you. God, help us to make the hard choices of faith, to step over those thresholds to be who and what you want us to be. Lord, we thank you for how much you love us. We thank you, Jesus, for being present in our lives and for calling us, Lord, to take those hard steps of faith. Because every step that we take, every threshold that we cross that gets us closer to you and following you, is worth it. Lord, we ask you to give us the courage to do that and help us to hear your call. In Jesus' name, amen.